0: welcome to Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is a message I gave on Sunday morning, September 4th, 2022, from the Gospel of John in chapters 7 and 8. We're going to be in the Gospel of John today um, in chapter 7 and chapter 8. Uh, We'll get there in a couple of minutes. But first, I have a question for us, which is, Has anybody in here, have you ever just looked around at where you are and what's going on in your life, and you're like, how in the world did I get here? This is not where I wanted to be. How in the world did this happen? And, and, And in the midst of that, have you ever felt like, and, by the way, I don't like any of it, and I want out. Whether that's relationships or situations or circumstances, how did I get here? I don't like this. And I want to get out. I don't know what the next step is. I don't know how to change where I am or what to do next. I think we've all felt that at some point, right? Just a feeling of, I feel stuck. I feel disoriented. I feel like, you know, relationships, circumstances. I feel stuck. I feel disoriented. I feel afraid. I don't know what the next step to take is. Okay. well, Jesus has a very good word today for folks who are stuck, for folks who feel afraid or disoriented, and you don't know what the next step is. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning, for what we've already sung and heard and said together. And I'm praying that, that as we dig into your word now, that you would open our hearts to receive something important that you have for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, this fall, we are looking at a curious and really cool thing that happens in the Gospel of John. John tells us at the very end of his book exactly why he wrote it. He said, I have written these things and put these things in this little collection so that you can believe that Jesus is who he says he is the Christ the son of the living God and that by believing you would have life in his name so the things that John decided to include were for that purpose so that you could know Jesus is who he says he is so that you could put your life into his hands and my question is okay if I'm gonna believe in you put my life in your hands you need to show some identification who are you Like, just like at the airport, you know, you show your passport in order to get through that gate, in order to get on that bird, in order to get into that next country. So John includes seven little statements that Jesus made that were like his photo ID. This is who I am. Jesus says seven times in the Gospel of John, I am, and then gives a little word picture, a little kind of metaphorical thing for us to know that this is something about him. This is who he is. This is why you should believe in him and how you're going to find life in his name. All right, we're going to, we're going to read some in, in John chapter 7 and John chapter 8. Before we do, I have to point out something, another curious little thing about the gospel of John. When you look at the very end of, of John chapter 7, if you have it open, then you can see this. If you don't, then you can find it later. At the very end of John chapter 7, there is a little kind of parentheses, and, and it says the earliest manuscripts do not have John seven fifty three through John 8, verse 11. And then the next little block of scripture might be in italics. It might just look a little different in your Bible. And if you've never noticed that before, or if you've noticed it and thought, what in the world does that mean? Let's talk for just a second what's going on here, okay? So every now and then in the New Testament, you'll see this. There'll be a place where our community group was looking at one this morning, a place where your Bible just skips from like verse 10 to verse 12, and then some Bibles have verse 11, and some Bibles don't. And and the thing is, is that there are little places in the New Testament where Um, some versions have it in one place, some versions don't have it at all, some versions have it in a different place. This little block of scripture, John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, is the very familiar story, if you've been around church stuff at all, or gone to Sunday school or whatever, where some people brought a woman to Jesus who was caught in the act of adultery, and they said, we have caught her in the act of adultery. Now, the law says that we should kill people like this. So we're going to pick up rocks, and we're going to throw, throw these rocks at this woman and kill her. What do you say, Jesus? And Jesus bends down and starts riding in the dirt. Remember this? And then they start looking at him instead of her. And he says, whoever is not, has never sinned, you go ahead and throw the first rock. And so people start dropping their rocks, and they walk away. And it's a beautiful story. It's an amazing story. The thing is, is it probably wasn't in the Gospel of John originally. And that's what they're telling you is the earliest manuscripts don't include this right here in the Gospel of John. And you might be like, what's a manuscript? Okay, so here's how we got the Bible. Um, guys like John or Peter or Paul, whoever wrote different books in the New Testament, they would write a letter or their or their you know, account of the life of Jesus or whatever, and then they would send that to somebody, to a church or to an individual person sometimes. Some of those letters went to individual people. But as soon as those people would receive that, they wouldn't just grab it and tuck it away and be like, oh cool, here's a new book for my shelf. They would immediately make a bunch of copies, and then they would send that to other groups of believers. And so those copies, we call manuscripts. So like John would write this, he would send it to a church, they would immediately get it, start making a bunch of copies, they would send it to a different group, they would get their copy and make a bunch of other copies, and you have copies after copies after copies. If they had somebody that spoke a different language, or if it was going to a different group of people, they would translate it, and then they would make copies of that. And what we have, that we've translated into our version of the Bible, has been translated to English from those copies, from various manuscripts. Now when they first translated the Bible into English, they had one version of it. And then since that's happened in the intervening hundreds of years, we have found earlier and earlier and better and more complete and more amazing manuscripts. And what we find is that story, that moment where they brought that woman to Jesus wasn't always included right here in the Gospel of John. Sometimes it was at a different place in John. Sometimes it was in a couple of places in the Gospel of Luke. Now, don't let your head spin too much about that it's probably not something that John wrote, but it's one of those things that's like, it definitely belongs in scripture. It definitely rings true of the heart and the love and the, the way that Jesus treated people and the whole thing. This is one of those things you're like, I know it belongs in scripture. I know it happened. It's It wasn't really in this place because what happens in the gospel of John chapter seven to chapter eight, verse 12, if you were to kind of Take that little story of them bringing that woman to Jesus and kind of lift it out, and then scooch those two places of scripture together. You have a perfect little flow of this big, long conversation that happens with Jesus. And that's what we're interested in this morning, okay? So, can we change gears to that? All right, okay. If everybody's still with me, John chapter 7, Jesus was in the city of Jerusalem along with everybody else in the country. Three times a year, all the people of God would from all over the country would all descend upon the city of Jerusalem for different holidays that they had. This one was called the Feast of Tabernacles. The word tabernacle just means tent. It, basically, it was camping week. And the reason that they would do this, it would be like if everybody in the state of Tennessee in mid-October took our tents to Nashville, and we all just lived in tents for an entire week. It'd be weird. There'd be hot chicken, I'm sure. But like, that's what they did. For a week, everybody's living in Jerusalem in tents. And the reason they did that was because... Way before this, when God's people were slaves in Egypt of the Pharaoh for 400 years, God broke them out of slavery by all these amazing miracles and through the leadership of Moses and then took them to the promised land. But between Egypt and the promised land, they had four decades of wandering around in the wilderness living in tents. They didn't grow any crops. They didn't build any houses for 40 years. And God miraculously took care of them, gave them miracle bread from heaven, gave them miracle water out of rocks, and also led them around with this gigantic pillar of cloud during the day. And at night, it was a, a pillar of fire. It was their light. It was their protection. He, it was their guide. He told them when to leave, when to stay, where to park, all that stuff for 40 years. And after they got to the promised land, Moses and Joshua, they told these guys, here's what you're going to do. Every single year, you are going to come to the capital city and you are going to commemorate what we just did for 40 years. And you're going to live in tents for a week. And you're going to remember how God took care of you. He gave you miracle bread. He gave you miracle water when you didn't know where to go. You had this big light in the big column of of fire that literally protected you and told you where to go, when to move on. Every year, you're going to remember that. So that's what they were doing, and that's what's happening in John chapter 7. And there's a really cool thing that happens in verse 12 of John chapter 7. It says, among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him about Jesus. Some said he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. As you go on through John chapter 7, what you find is everybody's talking about Jesus. Everybody's talking about Jesus, and they're wondering, who is he? Is he the Messiah? Is he bad? Is he is he somebody we should listen to? Is he somebody we should ignore? We know the leaders are upset about him. We don't want them to find out that we think he's cool or that we're talking about him because they're trying to get him arrested arrested, but but Jesus is the name on everybody's lips. And they're all asking this question, who is he? Who is he? And they go along and they finally, Jesus says this amazing thing. He shouted in the middle of the whole country, shouted out at the top of his lungs, which this was really breaking character. He never did that. And then all of a sudden, he's in this conversation with everybody. And they're asking him all these things about him. He's saying some stuff about himself. The, the temple, there's temple guards that are sent to arrest Jesus from the, from the Pharisees, from the leaders. And they come back to the Pharisees with like empty handcuffs, with no Jesus. And they're like, Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? And they're like, oh, uh," and what they said was, look, nobody has ever talked like this man does. You expect us to arrest him? You need to go listen to him. And finally, they're just like, so they're, everybody's arguing about this question, who is Jesus? OK, that's how John chapter 7 ends. So we're going to lift that one story out of there for just a second, OK, and then go straight to John, John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Who is Jesus. Is he good? Is he bad? Is he the Messiah? Where's he from? Well, I, I heard he was from Galilee. The Messiah was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. The leaders think he's bad, but he's done all these things. If the Messiah is somebody else, will somebody else do more miracles than him? And finally he speaks up and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk around in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay, one of the things that I love about these little word pictures, these identification papers of Jesus, if you will, like this is, I want you to know who Jesus is, I want you to know who he is, who he says he is, so that you can put your life into his hands. One thing I love about these pictures is, on one level, they're so dirt simple, and they're answering a problem that anybody could get their head around. Like the first one, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In other words, do you know what it is to be hungry? Yeah, I know what it feels like to be hungry. Well, I'm like bread. If you're hungry, if you're hungry for something in your soul, in your spirit, I'm what you're looking for. That's so simple. It's so easy to get your head around. This one, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Do you know what it feels like to be in the dark? Well, yeah. Yeah, I know what it feels like to be in the dark. I mean, if you're in a room with no windows and the lights go out, you can't see anything. You're not going to move anywhere, especially if you don't know that room well. Because you know that you're going to fall on something or stub your toe or you're going to get hurt in some way. I know what it feels like to be in the darkness. The only problem is that what it feels like to be in the dark changes the longer you're in the dark, right? You know that thing where you're in the darkness, and at first you can't see anything, and all of a sudden you start to be able to see a little bit of stuff, and then you think you know your way around, and you think you know what you're looking at? and then you walk into a wall anyway because you still can't see very well. I've been reading this week about the eye. And what happens when you get in the dark? There's this process called dark adaption, which I think is a really, really cool word. And what that means is, as soon as you get in darkness, your eyes start to do this cool stuff so that you can see differently in the dark. It's your night vision. It takes a long time. But what happens is this. Okay, this is really cool. As soon as the lights go out, your pupil, which is the dark part at the front of your eye, and some of you are like, yeah, I've been in seventh grade science. I remember what the pupil is. But just bear with me. I think this is really cool. it's like a it's like an aperture on a camera it immediately just opens up to take in more information as much information and light as it can as it can possibly get and then inside your eye you have two kinds of cells does anybody remember what kind of cells you have in your eyes rods and cones you guys are so awesome way to go just so many gold stars okay so you have rods and cones I don't know who came up with these names, but OK. You have rods and cones. The cone cells are like really, really micro, fine, like high resolution. They do all the colors and the high definition stuff, like textures and depth of field and all that stuff. They need a lot of information, super duper sensitive. The rod cells, they're much more macro. They're like, it's, it's a blunt force instrument. It's not, not, a lot of, you know, not a lot of resolution, no color, just kind of broad shapes and shades of gray. Now I didn't know this, but when your eyes are going into night vision mode, dark adaption, the cone cells shut off completely. They just take the day off. We're not even doing that at all. There's just not enough information for them to fire up. So it's all the rod cells, which means that when you're doing night vision, you can't see any color at all. And when I read that, I was like, I've never thought about that. I've never thought about the fact that when you're in night vision mode, there is no color. That's amazing. And it takes up to two hours for dark adaption to get to its best version of your night vision, for you to get as good as you can see in the dark. And you have basically no resolution. You have no colors. You have almost no depth of field. You have no texture, all that kind of stuff. It's just not a lot of detail, not a lot of information. Okay, why are we talking about this? Because when you get in the dark, a process starts immediately where the farther you're in it, you think you can see stuff now. And then you start moving around. The problem is you have very low resolution, you don't have a lot of information, and you're misunderstanding almost everything you see. Okay, so if Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, you know what darkness feels like? It's like, yes, I know what darkness feels like. But the longer I'm in it, I'm feeling better and better about my ability to navigate this space. The problem is, you can't see anything. OK, so let's go back to our original questions. Do you know what it feels like to be in the middle of a situation where you're like, how in the world did I get here? By the way, I don't like this. I don't like this, re- this relationship or this situation. I don't want to be here. And I want to get out of it, please. I don't know what the next step is. Well, into that situation, I think that Jesus would tell us a couple things. Number one, your first question, how did I get here? You almost never get the answer to that one. And if you meet somebody that, where God has literally given them the answer of here's exactly why you're in this situation, wow. Wow. And by the way, don't listen to anybody else on that. Because as Tom says, if somebody wants to tell you why you're in the situation you're in, buckle up, they're about to say something stupid. We don't get invited to those meetings. It's not theological, theologically practical for you to understand why you're in the situation you're in. I don't think God really ever tells us that stuff. When this is going to end, why I'm here, why this relationship, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, sometimes you know, you know why you're in a situation. Like one time when I was in high school, I found myself in the back of a cop car in Gatlinburg. And um, that was me, okay? But a lot of times, the situations you're in that you want to get out of, like, (laughs) you don't know why you're there. And God's probably not going to tell you why. But, but, and stay with me on this, how I feel about where I am, My attitude about the situation that I'm in, what if I feel the way I do because, y'all, I just can't see very well. I've been walking around in the darkness for a long time, and I think I can see what's going on, but I misunderstand a lot. And when you can't see very well, you start to feel some things, don't you? You ever tried to walk around your house in the middle of the night, and it's your house, everything in there you put inside there, but you see something and you're scared to death? Like a year and a half ago, we got this dog, right? Yoshi. Some of you have ever met her. She's a lovely gal. But here's the thing. Yoshi, I mean, because dogs in general, and Yoshi definitely, like, has the most amazing sense of smell of any creature on this planet. Just amazing sense of se- smell. Her eyes are garbage. Like, they are just hot garbage, okay? She has no idea what she's looking at. Like, when we get the air fryer out to make something with the air fryer, she's like, what is that? That cylinder is going to kill us all. And we're like, no, it's just going to give us delicious egg rolls. Would you please calm yourself? When she sees the thing that we use to make waffles, she's like, that is a dangerous disk of death. And I want it to go away immediately. It's like, no, it just makes waffles. You're going to feel real great about it when you smell them in a minute. By the way, if I have anything to say about it, you're not getting any, okay? Because that's why we buy the dog food. But there's nothing to be afraid of here. But when I can't see very well, I feel differently about what I'm looking at. Amen? Here I am in this situation. I don't know how I got here. Here I am in this relationship. I don't know how I got here, and I don't like it. How did I get here? I don't know what to do. I wish I could change it. I don't think God hardly ever tells us why we are where we are, how we got in this situation, when it's going to end, or anything like that. But your attitude about it while you're in it, what if it's because you can't see very well? What if I feel stuck or afraid because I can't see very well? What if I feel disoriented and discouraged and frustrated because I don't know what I'm looking at? I have a very low resolution about the problems of my life. I have a very, I have very like, low definition. When I look at my problems, I see something scary. Is anybody else with me on that? When I look at my situations or some of my relationships, I see something very discouraging. What if I'm not getting all the information? What if I need a little light? It's really interesting, I was reading about that dark adaption when, you, when your eyes go into night vision mode. Like I said, it can take up to two hours for you to get to your best possible night vision, which, by the way, is not that much better than the way Yoshi looks at the world. Okay, But you add a little bit of light. Light adaption happens instantaneously. It's like seconds. It's like part of a second. As soon as light comes in, all those cone cells are like, we're back, we can see everything colors, resolution, definition, depth of field, texture, all of it. We can see everything. What we need is a little bit of light. Everybody at the feast of camping is asking, who is he? Everybody's whispering about him. He's the name on everybody's lips. Is he the Messiah? Is he a bad guy? Is he from Galilee or Bethlehem? Who else could do all this stuff? Who is he? And finally, he says, I am like light. I'm the light of the world. When you look at your situation, you don't know how to feel about it because you can't see very well. What you need is light. Why was everybody talking about Jesus? Well, I'll tell you this. It wasn't because all the money he had. Because he didn't have any. It wasn't because of his big fancy house. He was homeless. It wasn't because he was like insta- Graham famous or anything like that. No, it wasn't any of that stuff. People were talking about, and and by the way, it wasn't because he was so uber handsome or anything like that. We know that he wasn't. The reason Jesus was the name on everybody's lips, the reason that this whole thing culminates into who are you, tell me who you are, is because of the way that Jesus loved people. That's why everybody was talking about Jesus. It was the way that he loved people. It was the way that he cared about people. Everybody was wanting to know who is this person because of the stuff that he was doing. And everything that he was doing was out of the love that he had. There was nobody like him. If like 10% of the stories that we have of the way Jesus loved people were true, it would be enough to say, I have never in my life met anybody like him. The way that he included people, the way that he cared about people, the way that he amplified people's voices, to use the lingo of the day. I mean, he brought in women when nobody else did. He brought in foreigners. He loved them and brought them in when everybody else was trying to kick foreigners out. He loved on the races that other people avoided and hated. He picked up the marginalized. He healed the people that everybody else ignored. It was the love of Jesus that put him on everybody's lips. And he's like, you're looking at me wondering who I am because you've never seen love like this. What I'm here to tell you is me, my heart, my love, I am the light of the world. It's My love, it's like light. When Jesus came into the world loving the world the way he did, it exposed the way light does. It exposed all of our selfishness. It exposed all of our unfairness. It exposed all of our peevishness, all of our hate, all of our, all that stuff. That's what light does. It's what love does. Love is like light in that love is like information. When you have more light, your eyes have more information, right? Your brain has more information to work with, more color, more texture, more depth of field. Love is like that. You ever met somebody, and as soon as you met him, you're like, I'll never be friends with that person. <laughs> and then for some reason, something happened where there, you felt pity for them, or, you're, or you felt some love for them. And then all of a sudden, like you saw them in a completely different way. Has that ever happened? Because love is like light. It gives you more nuance, more information. Now I see them in totally different colors and textures. It changes the way that you see. It gives you more of what you need to understand. The love of Jesus came into a dark world, exposing, so much of of what we misunderstand and what we get wrong, which makes us afraid, and it makes us disoriented, and it makes us frustrated with each other. It brings in so much hate and fear and all that stuff. And the love of Jesus exposed all of it. And he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't walk around in darkness anymore. And you, all of a sudden, you can see everything in a completely different way. What if you weren't afraid? Like, think for a second about the situations in your life and the relationships that you're dealing with, and you were like, what if I had all of the knowledge? What if I had all the information? If I knew everything that was going to happen about this, if I knew when it was going to end, everything, if I had all the love of Jesus's whole huge heart for this person and this whole situation, if I knew everything, and I was not afraid at all, and I wasn't disoriented at all, and I knew exactly what to do next. Wouldn't that be awesome? So, I was thinking about this this week, and I'm like, okay, so Jesus, the love of Jesus, how different he was, how beautiful his love was. It was like light that came into the world and exposed everything and changed the way that we see everything. So, to follow Jesus, I just need to love everybody like Jesus does, right? I guess, here's my thing about that. How good are you at that? Because I'm just going to point at me. I'm not very good at it. And I mean, Bless everybody's hearts. I don't see you with the love of Jesus. I mean, I'm trying to. I think I do more than when I was 18 or 19 or something like that. Hopefully, more than when I was 30, 35. I hope I'm growing in it. But, y'all, I'm not very good at that. I'm not very good at seeing the world with the love of Jesus. So, here's what I'm working with, and you tell me if this helps, okay? Don't leave me up here just standing here alone, okay? Here's what I'm working with. When I look at this verse, the thing that's so cool about it is it immediately lets me off the hook, if I'm willing to be humble, okay? Because what he says is, I am the light of the world. Jesus, you are. You're the light of the world. I don't know how to love everybody like you do. So you be the light of the world, and he says, and then you follow me. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me I know all the stuff the love that I have has all of the detail all of the information all of the nuance everything that you misunderstand and can't see if I'm willing to start here I don't see very well Jesus you're the light of the world I don't know what I'm looking at half the time I don't know how to look at my own life I don't know how to look at the people in my life I don't know what I'm seeing I'm like that dog in my house. I'm afraid of the wrong stuff and I'm all up in my feelings in the wrong way about the wrong stuff. I don't know what I'm looking at. I'm going to start there. Now, you're the light of the world. You've got all the love. You've got all the information. So Jesus, what is the next footfall of love? What is the next step love would take for me in my individual life, in my individual moment, in my individual day? What is the next footfall of love? Are you all with me on that? Is that something that we could start to do? I don't know what I'm looking at. When I find myself feeling stuck and afraid and frustrated and disappointed, why don't we start here? Take a beat, take a knee. As my football coaches, just take a knee, everybody. Before you go off on anybody, before you lose your mind, before whatever happens next, start here. I probably am not seeing this well. I can't see very well. Jesus, you're the light of the world. What is the next footfall of love? I want to try to follow in it. I want to try to follow your footstep. So what is the next footfall of love? Half the time, I don't know what I'm looking at. Can you tell me what the next step would be? I think that would be a really, really good place to start. I know this. When I am, there have been so many times when I've been so so up in my own head, so up in my own feelings, and then the situation ends and I find out I was completely wrong about the whole thing. So what if we start with that humility and say, I am not the light of the world. He is. I don't know what I'm looking at. Jesus, what is the next footfall of love? Let's start there. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the fact that you know exactly what you're looking at. You are full of pity. You are full of care. You're full of all the knowledge and information. You see all the nuance and detail and color in every single person that you're looking at, in every single situation that we're walking through. I don't know what I'm looking at half the time, but I want to follow the next footfall of love. Would you tell us what it is? This week, this day, would you show us a footstep of love and then another footstep of love? Would you be the light of the world in our week this week? It's in your name we pray. Amen. You are
1: seeking sacrifice Or for me to act like everything's all right you want not look you for a lie. Where I pretend that there are no tears in my eyes. So Once again your love is real So I will cast my cares on you